No, that's kind of sad. It's, it's very telling that that's considered a big movie week nowadays. Yeah. Well, I mean, two, I saw two movies. I saw two big movies. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to another week of Ghost in the Scene. I am your host, Gio. This is the only ghost-free podcast. I'm with my... Or, ghost-friendly, I'm so sorry. And I'm with my co-host, Rob. How are you, Rob? I'm feeling very blessed to be in this audio sage with you all, and very grateful to have Gio back with us, because we were just discussing, it's been a big movie week for him. He He's seen two movies, and that's a lot of exposure to the paranormal spirits coming out of the screen. So two movies. Wow. I don't know if I would recommend anyone watching two movies ever. I had to get my skin peeled um, after the first movie. It's And here's the problem. When I say two movies and everyone's like, oh, ha, 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 not, not very much, right? These are two and a half hour long movies that I had to sit through. That's five hours. That's uh, basically the amount of time I sleep during a night. So... That's like as if I was asleep during these two movies. I could have been asleep during these two movies and I wouldn't even noticed. But the fact is, I had to get my entire skin peeled so that the, the ectoplasmic radiation would not affect my, uh, my blackheads, my pimples. I was breaking out. So uh, I, I just want to say, yes, I am a trooper. Yes, I did do that. And I did it for you guys. I did it for everybody that listens because... I know that um, no one's as strong as we are. I mean, I'm sure there are people that are a little bit stronger, but I doubt it. I, I know that, Rob, you can lift 300 pounds over your head with one hand, and I'm, I'm getting there. But the fact that I saw two movies should be pretty impressive to you guys. I, I hope you're impressed. Um, I saw The Lion King, and I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And um, I, I would say that both of them have haunted aspects obviously i think the uh once upon a time in hollywood is much more of a uh, period hi historical piece but i mean then again the lion king who knows if that you know hasn't happened in real life it, it could have happened i believe it did i mean they captured all those animals um doing those things so i mean again this is disney so they're they are known for making their documentary films especially their nature films as well and pushing animals they have a history if you look back of pushing animals off of cliffs for entertainment um if you want to look further in just look up the lemming lemming documentary there's a lot of myths about lemmings and how they make themselves ghosts um it turns out it's disney so uh, be in the scene about that, folks. Uh, there might be a special report on that later, but you know, do some quick searching on that. Wow, that is that's some homework. That's interesting, very interesting. And yes, I mean, in this movie, they do not shy away from the animal death at all. There is plenty of times where you see them um, hunt and kill and roar, and they have teeth. I mean, when when you say they captured these animals. You're not lying. They they literally captured wild animals and then somehow made them into a computer. They they put them in a computer zoo of some kind. And then so that this is why we we've been hearing that this is the live action remake of The Lion King and how and if you look into the history of The Lion King, there is actually a a TV series called Kimba that this was kind of based off of, so in a way this is the third installment and the closing of the trilogy. And so they had to capture these live animals. 
they put them in a in a some kind of computer zoo, and then they released a movie where you have animals attacking each other, and because it's CGI, quote unquote, you know they can't get uh, hurt by the code of ethics, the you know do not hurt any animals, but they they do, and frankly I had to walk out several times. I ran out of candy. I, I went, I bought candy and I came back and it was, you know, the, the violence against animals was still happening. So I had to walk out again. I bought popcorn. I came back, I watched and, you know, then they were singing Hakuna Matata. And so I, I stayed and I watched that part. And I, I will say shout out to Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen as Timon and Pumbaa. I think that they uh, really brought a lot of spiritual kindness to this movie that they it needed. Because if you take out the Timon and Pumbaa part of the story, it is just total violence. There is nothing happy about this movie. It is lion against lion, fighting for the king of the jungle. It, it you know it's it's the kind of thing that Game of Thrones would have been jealous of for that storyline. You know they wish that they could have released that as their final season, but frankly. Um, the Timon and Pumbaa aspect is for the kids and it's also for the people who are spiritually conscious because there's only so much animal computer zoo deaths that you could watch before your spirit starts to feel kind of queasy. And so they needed the, the relief of Timon and Pumbaa. And in fact, when you say the words Timon and Pumbaa, it sounds like a spell. More than anybody else's name, I think Timon and Pumbaa and Hakuna Matata itself is an incantation that is a calming spell. So um, I, I would just like to say this for, for us today. Hakuna Matata for, for everybody listening. And don't worry about these movies. Uh, we watch them for you so you don't have to. And we're going to get into it. Um, so, Rob, did you watch the original Lion King? You know, actually, I'll be honest. I sleep through most movies Actually, I, I go to the movie theaters to, to nap. Um, and that way I experience all these films on a subconscious level as well. Um, so when I speak about them, it's not so much on the surface level. It's really more to a deeper sense. Also, it's just a very nice place, uh, dark place with air conditioning uh, mm-hmm. it's at been, the end of the day. It's been very hot in California for um, everybody that doesn't know that we're in California. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's great to be sleeping in a, in a cold room and in a dark room and you are able to astral project while you're in the theater. There's something about the, the seating and, and you know, the ambient noises of a movie theater where you can astral project very easily. It's, it's something that no, most people don't realize they can do. So when you have a chance, go to the movie theater, you know, uh, buy a ticket, go in the back and bring a blanket, bring a pillow, and really see if you could get in tune with yourself. And the movie itself will come to you in your dreams. You don't have to worry about watching it. And if anybody says, well, you have the ticket, you know, you have the, the proof that you watched it, and nobody can tell you you're wrong. So for all the haters out there, you know, they, they want to bring you down. But if you have the proof, which is what this episode, what this show is all about, it's about proof then no one can, t- can tell you anything. So you watched the original, but you fell asleep, which is smart. And I should have done this with this last movie. 
Um, but it was very loud and very noisy. A lot of roars, you know? And you think about what a roar is to a lion. It's their invocation of their power, right? It's, it's their version of a spell. Um, all kinds of animals bark and roar and make different noises. And we have to understand that since they don't speak English, we can't understand them, but spirits can understand them. You know, um, if, if you talk to a spirit from, you know, from Poland or something, and you're from California, they will find a way to communicate with you. They're, they're, they're not the kind of uh, ghosts that don't know how to speak to, you know, different people. Once you're a spirit, you have access to the encyclopedia of the ghosts, which means you can talk to pretty much anything and, and anything. So because of that, you know, you have these ghosts, these lions, these tigers, these hyenas. Bears. And bears, and they are talking and yipping and roaring and barking, but there's the, there are spirits that can understand them, that are invoking whatever spells they're saying, they're helping them, and I'm not sure if it's uh, some way to get them out of the computer zoo, I'm not sure if it's, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of things in Africa, so the, the fact that they're doing all of this computer zoo stuff in Africa makes me think that this is like a pre-human time where there were animals and all of this stuff, right? What's to stop them from fast-forwarding their computer simulation a thousand years and then making, you know, movies about people, the origins of man? They're almost, in a way, trying to recreate humanity on a small level, and they're feeding it to us in pieces. So they're starting with the Lion King, with Dumbo, with a bunch of animals, right? And at some right. point, we are going to be the ones in the computer zoo. So I don't, I don't want to scare anybody, but it's the future that I'm seeing. I don't know if you see it, but I can see it. I'm telling my friend Al Pacino to, to watch out. Watch his back. Because I'm gonna I'm gonna tell that to Jeff Daniels, who's in the movie Tron, right? Where yes. they took a man and they put him in a box. Yes, um, the original, the dude. You know that guy was Jeff Bridges. I'm oh, sorry. there you go, Jeff Bridges. Yes, the dude. Now that guy is a religious figure. I'm not sure if we've talked about this before, uh, as far as Jeff Bridges, but there is an entire religion based off of his character the dude and to think that he is the one they chose to put in the computer box and then in the sequel he himself is almost like a god if you remember i mean not many people watched tron legacy but i was at a bar recently and it was playing in the background everything happens for a reason rob we know this and it showed me the ghosts, the spirits, the bar showed me the scene where the clone of Jeff Bridges is trying to kill Jeff Bridges. And so Jeff opens up a portal in himself and sucks everything in Tron into himself, which is a, a, a sacrificial, uh, you know, kind of um, way of saving everybody. He, he himself dies. And kills Tron and the entire, like, city or whatever, right? Mass murder, basically. But it is a, a kind of indication that he is more than just a person. He can 
create portals inside himself and suck in the computer world. I mean, his name, it's, and it's all in the name, folks, right? Like we said, names are also spelled Jeff Bridges. So he's creating these mm. links between our world and this computer box. Exactly. The computer zoo that we are all going to go to at some point. And he paved the way and he destroyed the first computer zoo that they created. And we have to thank right. him for that. Because were it not for him, there could have been a Tron 3. And that could be Tron 3 colon everybody. And that's when everybody goes into Tron. And we're lucky that he destroyed it. I mean, we're going we're going pretty far. And I feel like we can go even further into this computer box discussion, Joe. But I know we also had other things on our agenda. And I want to make sure that we're keeping people in the scene of course. For, for now. Um, but I'm also very interested in this computer box stuff. You know, it's, it's a future dystopia that no one wants to talk about. You know, we talk about self-driving cars. We talk about, um, assistant robots. We talk about the surveillance state, but nobody talks about the computer box, the computer zoo that we're all going to be corralled into at some point. So that's something for another day. I wanted to talk to you guys about once upon a time in Hollywood. And I had a dream recently. I'm not sure if I've talked about this on, on air before. I don't think I have. Um, we've been kind of saving this. I mean, it's explosive stuff. We didn't know, you know, our, our firewall last time was pretty much at max. And any we figured any more paranormal energies would have thrown it overboard. But, you know, thanks to the good people of the street team, we got an extra server uh, rented just for today just to drop this news for you all and we want to thank everybody out there who are uh, is helping us um, pay for this kind of stuff it's very expensive and um, we have a lot of donors so thank you for uh, for the donors for donating uh, money and funds bill yates always our number one mm -hmm. so i had a dream more of like a vision i would say a couple of weeks ago and i told rob about this when it happened i told pretty much everybody it was it burned into my psyche this uh, this conversation that I had. So I'll, I'll explain to you what happened. So I have this dream, this vision, where I'm at an airport and I am walking uh, where the baggage claim is, and I happen to see a very handsome middle-aged man with glasses and a jean jacket, and I in instantly recognize him, right, like an old friend, and it's Brad Pitt. So, of course, you know, in, in this vision, I call him over. Um, I'm a paranormal expert, and so a lot of people in my visions, they, they're aware of that. They know that. So, he immediately just says hi to me. He comes over, and we start shooting the shit. We start talking and joking around. And I ask him, I said, you know, so what are you doing here? You know, how, you know, how's it going? How's life? And he tells me, oh, I just finished this movie, and I'm, you know, going home, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, it's the uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You just finished the uh, new Tarantino movie, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah. Did you know this is going to be Quentin Tarantino's last comedy? And I said, um, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, he's not doing comedies anymore. The next movie he's going to do is going to be serious. But this movie is going to be a comedy, and it's going to be pure comedy. So I took that. I, you know, I said, okay, great, thank you, Brad. I um, gave him a kiss on the cheek, Italian style, 
and we separated. You know, I got my bag and I left. I woke up in a in a hot sweat. I I called Rob. I told him immediately, and you know, uh, I waited because we, we don't have screeners. We you know uh, Hollywood has shut us out of their their process of reviewing movies and stuff early. Um, so I had to watch it with the public. I had to go and see this movie with the regular normal people of the world. And I got to tell you, um, Brad was right. This movie is a comedy. I, I happened to watch once upon a time in Hollywood and there is barely a serious moment in any, any part of the movie. It is nonstop slapstick you know, Leo DiCaprio slipping over bananas, um, spit, spit takes, there's a lot of spit takes, um, there's a train scene, I mean, there's all kinds of super funny stuff happening in this movie, and I just gotta say, I called it, I, I should have told you guys before, so you guys would have had an idea that, you know, it's, I'm telling the truth, but Rob, hopefully you can attest that this, this has been a, a, a weeks long investigation for us. I mean, certainly, as all of our investigations are, like, we do throw work here. We're not just throwing stuff off the cuff. Uh, and that's why we're the experts. Um, you know, we have these visions. We have the insight. We have these instincts that we are following. And But we are following it through. Um, and the fact that you're, you are listening to this show, you are giving some of your energy back so don't be surprised by some of the things that we may say may resonate with you personally and directly that's because it is uh and don't shy away from those feelings and you know keep the feedback as well because this is the kind of work and as you know we can put these dots that are all over this map we can put those dots together and start connecting it to this larger pattern so it's no surprise and you know for our long-term listeners this is just normal stuff. This is sky is blue sort of situation. Exactly. And here's the thing about this movie. It's it's a comedy, but it is a paranormal comedy. There are ghosts, several ghosts. We've talked about Margot uh, and Hillary, Margot Robbie and Hillary Duff, playing the titular character of Sharon Tate. And how Sharon Tate was not too happy with their performances. And... We were kind of confused as to why, but after watching the film, I think I understand why. Um, I, I had seen that Sharon Tate's family had given Margot some of Sharon's jewelry to wear during the film. So, we're talking about spiritually charged artifacts that are given to um, somebody to wear during a film, and... In this film, and you know, I'm going to give a spoiler, guys, and I hope you guys listen closely. This is this will save your life. In this movie, Sharon Tate does not die. Sharon Tate is allowed to to live and have her baby, and it it kind of changes the entire Roman Polanski thing. It's kind of a, kind of a strange roundabout way of uh, saving his career. Um, very weird, but the fact is, she survives. So. Sharon, I think we finally understand why Sharon would be so upset. The ghost of Sharon Tate is not allowed to become a ghost in this film. Now, of course, Hilary Duff was just a bad act, bad actor, bad job, did, didn't do it right. Right. 
you know, flubbed her lines. She acted it all wrong. Yeah. And Margot, she acted just fine, but the ending was different. And so as a ghost, it's so offending. It's so offensive that you would make a movie about me. This is, this is me talking to Sharon Tate. How dare you make a movie about me and not show how I became a ghost? The most important part of a ghost's life is the is the point when they become a ghost. So they robbed they Margot robbed robbed her robbed her of her of her ghost scene and made her sit there and watch the whole thing because if you think about the idea of wearing jewelry of wearing Sharon's jewelry that you know that's part of her energies a part of that jewelry. So it's almost as if she was on set watching the whole thing, you know, getting ready for her big scene to reveal herself as a ghost. And it just never given that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And in fact, other people are, are killed and not Sharon. And these other people are alive. So you're making fake ghosts. You're making ghosts of, of people that aren't dead. And we've talked about the idea that, you know, the shadow of a ghost that you can create in a film exists outside once the film is over. So they are creating duplicate ghosts of the Manson family. Wow. So when the Manson family, when all, when they all kill over, there will be duplicates. So it will double the amount of Manson family there are in the spiritual world. So that's something that I don't think Quentin under really understood what he was doing. Unless he did, and in that case, we have a major problem on our hands. All to say, I think it just shows the importance of having experts on film sets. This is why Hollywood needs to be hiring us more to yes. be paranormal consultants yes. on their sets to make sure this sort of, you know, irresponsible uh, outcomes, you know, you know, behaviors can't be allowed anymore. You know, we're in a world that is already oversaturated with ghosts right now. There's too many, and it's causing all sorts of havoc. There's no order to it whatsoever, and they need some experts to help guide them to, you know, this creates a lot of harm, you know, intentional or not. And at this point, you can't just say, oh, I didn't know, and that'd be okay. Exactly. Exactly. And and here's the thing. Quentin, this is, this is to you. We're one phone call away, bud. You know, mm-hmm. we're one phone call away to tell you, hey, you know, maybe you should consider doing this. Maybe you should consider being a little more sensitive to ghosts. That's all he had to do. That's all you had to do, Quentin, and you blew it. You and blew it's it. not. We're not saying change your whole movie either. It's just really minor script changes or just you know, simple ceremonies on set that will. Ease your transition into the ghost world, and it's simple stuff. And it's right here. We're right here. So, yeah. yeah. We know he's going to make another movie, and if he does, um, we're here, Quentin, and we don't want you to make the same mistakes twice. You know, you you messed up this time. Uh, Sharon Tate is probably very angry at you as well. Uh, on top of the whole Margot Roby thing, so yeah, we're just going to have to. Hold your feet to the fire until you realize what you're doing is wrong. And I'm glad I said hold your feet to the fire. Because that is another thing that 
Quentin, we need to talk about is your foot fetish is now beyond just a fetish. It is it is an obsession. And there there has to be some paranormal connection that we're not seeing. The fact that he is putting feet as almost like a center main character. It, it has to mean something. Gio, it's the old lady who lives in the shoe. Holy shit. Wrong. You know, and and boots, you know, and and but the idea of the the foot being removed from the shoe. That is exactly the perfect metaphor for this movie. The old lady in the shoe, but the shoe is off, which means that it is exposed, the foot is exposed, it is vulnerable. It is kind of almost in a way I don't want to say exploiting the foot, but it's you're basically and and this is something that I I noticed in the film. She was in a movie theater. Sharon Tate is in a the movie theater and she takes her shoes off and her bare feet are facing the screen. Now, the amount of paranormal radiation, the ectoplasm coming from that screen. That's that's dangerous. Going directly to the soles of your feet. Wow. Soul. Wow, Rob. So I, you know, the question that I had, strike it because Rob had the answer. Rob figured it out. It is the old lady in the shoe all over again. The soles of your feet are being exposed to films, to the ghosts shooting one million miles an hour at your feet. And if you don't have the right boots and the right shoes, they're just going to seep right in. And that's what happened. And think about, we've talked a lot about the old lady who lives in the shoe, but if you're living in a shoe, the shoe's all around you. It's so big, it's not going to be on your foot. Right. And we've talked about the old lady in the shoe, how it's so haunted, there's all the ghosts. So really, who's going to be barefoot but the old woman in the shoe, right? The shoe is around you mm -hmm. when it's so big. And so you're saying that Margot Robbie was playing multiple roles. She is Sharon Tate. She is the old lady in the shoe. And the shoe itself is Hollywood in this, in this sense, right? So this movie could have been renamed Once Upon a Time in the Old Lady in the Shoe. Or in the shoe, probably, right? Right. I mean, it's like it has that fairy tale beginning, right? Once Upon a Time in a Shoe. Mm-hmm. And all you got to say is, you know, switch out Hollywood, and it's the same. And, I mean, yeah, that's the, that's the problem with this movie is that it's doing kind of too much, you know? Uh, it, it's trying to appease to history, and, and it tells an uh, alternate reality of history. Um, it is a comedy, so there is a lot of these serious moments are played for pure laughs, which, I you know, Brad Pitt was right, and, and I, I don't want to take away from that, but... This was a very paranormal movie, and so to play it for laughs is kind of disrespectful. In in, in a in a roundabout way, you're kind of you know um, shitting on the actual ghosts that helped you make this film in the first place. And so all all the people that weren't killed in the movie that should have been, or maybe not should have been, but that actually happened in real life, right? I can imagine that. They didn't like this movie very much. And I don't blame them. And the old lady in the shoe, 
I'm sure she's not happy about this movie either. So this is for Quentin. Um, call us. We can we can uh, guide you through the paranormal world. We're, we're hearing he wants to do a Star Trek movie next. And that space and that space time, Rob is very well versed in that. Um, you know, space is a very open, empty, black, dark place. That's a lot like the ghost dimension, which you've been to. And so it's something that our expertise is, is needed. You got, you need us. So uh, we're here and we're, we're ready to work with you. We just don't want another ghost to fall through the cracks. Simple as that. No, especially when you're dealing with intergalactic travel. I mean, think about all that space dust that you're collecting going throughout the universe. You don't know where that space dust has been, whose mouths has mm -mm. touched that space dust. Mm -mm. Uh, that's why you need experts on the scene like us. So if you're serious about this being a serious movie, Quentin, then give us a call because we are dead serious. It's right. And then Brad Pitt told me that your next movie is not going to be a comedy. So we know that you're not going to be doing some of the mistakes that you did in this movie. Um, and we just hope that you can consult us uh, on the proper paranormal ethics that we know and that we're experts on. So this is the ninth movie that he made. And it's pretty telling um, that he's going for 10. Um, this movie didn't do that great. It was beaten by The Lion King, the other movie that I saw this, this week. And being number one, being number two... I think means a lot to to Quentin, right? I think him not making number one is the fire that he needs to make his 10th film because I had heard that he was going to stop if this movie was going to be a hit. That this ninth one, if he, if he thought this was going to be, you know, the biggest box office, he was going to just retire, right, on, on a high note. But he stops at number two in the box office, that is all the more reason for him to continue making these paranormal movies. And we can do an entire deep dive into the eight other movies that he did and just show how it's been a progression of paranormal exploitation, right? And he's been dabbling in different genres, been tapping different actors to portray these roles, and they're all paranormally charged. They all have certain things about them that we could discuss, and so uh, we will get to his filmography at some point. But um, I'll just want to say that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, as funny as it was, what's not funny is treating Sharon Tate, the ghost of Sharon Tate, um, improperly. You know, you, you, you did everything right except give Sharon Tate's ghost the respect that she needed. And for that, uh, I... I'm going to say I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in Quentin. But just a reminder, you know, this that this is a journey for all of us that we are all on our paranormal journeys and discovering, you know, this isn't easy. Mm -hmm. You know, the, even people that you like are going to mess up sometimes. That's so true. And this is uh this is going to be something very uh, interesting. He is going to be working with, you know, if the, if this is working with Star Trek, he's going to be working with you know, J.J. Abrams, he's going to be working with all these people that are kind of tangentially attached to comic book movies and to, you know, Marvel and, you know, Disney. So that's something that he's never really come close to. And now he's going to be very close to it. And in fact, 
there is a telling scene in the uh, Hollywood movie, in the um, Lady in the Shoe movie, where a young actress, uh, this young w- young woman who is a what do you call it? She's like a TV TV character. She is reading a book about Walt Disney, and she calls him a genius. She's like, he is a, he's such a genius. I'm reading a book about Walt Disney, and so we know that Quentin wrote these movies. So that that wasn't an ad lib that the little girl said. That was him making her say that. So if if we think that Quentin is not, you know, a, a Disney head or a Marvel head, you're wrong. And he he just proved it. He just showed you in his movie. So we can look forward to uh, you know the next Captain America with Quentin Tarantino as the director or something like that. We we don't know, but the fact is Hollywood is such a small place, and he kind of proved that with his movie that. He can do anything. He can he can join any company that he wants, and they're gonna accept him. They're gonna use him, and we have to be there to report on it. So, the story continues. The saga continues, and we will follow this story until the bitter end. So, um, we have one last little thing we want to talk about. We want to rest in peace. There is <clears throat> somebody who died recently, and hero or not. Right, we're not sure. We we don't know the history of the, of of this person as well as we should. But the fact is, we've heard her voice for years. How many years? Fifty years, maybe longer. This is the voice of Minnie Mouse, um, Mickey's Mickey Mouse's wife or girlfriend. I'm not. Were they married? I mean, they both have the last name of Mouse. Um, are they? Related, I think they kiss, so I hope not. Uh, I, let's, let's. All I know is that also Rusty Taylor, Rusty Taylor. I again, like these are the people behind the scenes, behind the voices that they purposely don't want you to know their names, um, mm-hmm. because they adopt them. You know, they almost make them these characters. But in their biography as well, her husband uh, was also the voice of Mickey Mouse. So at least in real life, Mickey and Minnie were married. Wow. So we want to rest in peace to to Minnie. And I don't want to disparage her or um, anything about her life and her voice acting skills. But um, I will say this. Minnie Mouse was a very kind person to, you know, to Mickey. And I don't think Mickey could have made it as far as he did without her. And frankly, I wish he didn't. You know, I wish they never met. That's, that's my, I, I don't wish that she, you know, died or, you know, nothing like that. I just, you know, the moment that they met, I wish that there had been a, a hotter hunk, maybe a rat mouse that she could Mortimer, maybe? Exactly. The, a, a ratatouille, a Remy uh, of some kind. She could have met. Someone that can cook. A chef, a Jean yeah. Favreau type. And instead, she gets with the Mickey Mouse and his best friend, Walt, and the rest is history. So mm-hmm. I just, you know, if, if this, I, and here's the thing, this is my petition. Fuck Star Trek. Why don't, uh, why doesn't Quentin Tarantino make a movie alternate reality like he did with this where Minnie and Mickey never get together? Because that's the kind of retelling of history that I'm interested in. Instead of disparaging the ghost of Sharon Tate and not letting her become a ghost, why don't we change history 
and make it so that Walt Disney and Mickey Mouse never get to the top where they are now, right? And we could sh- we could show that history and how beautiful that world would be if Minnie Mouse was with Remy from Ratatouille and he was cooking her grapes and cheese and stuff. That's beautiful. And, and I mean, if that's not a pitch for why we need to be on set of the next Tarantino film, I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure she has cute feet. You know, Minnie, I'm sure she has cute feet. You can draw them. She's a cartoon. So he can draw the most photorealistic feet on that little mouse. And It's about time, yeah. I think they need to do the um, live-action Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse story. It's, I mean, we've been waiting for this. They've already tested it out with Ratatouille. It looks great. Mm-hmm. It looks great. And yeah. Yeah, so um, call us. Call us anybody. You can call it even Disney if they, if they want to call us and consult on us. Um, we will do it. This is our, our passion project. This is something that we believe in wholeheartedly. And so once again, rest in peace to uh, what was her name? I'm sorry. Rusty Taylor. Rusty Taylor. Uh, rest in peace. And we, we hope to bring justice to to your career and to make you the star of, of this of this next movie, this next Quentin Tarantino movie. And hopefully um, we get somebody, and if your husband is is alive still, we can get him to play Mickey again. No, he died 10 years ago. Oh, my God. But that's Yeah, that's the thing. Minnie outlasted Mickey at the end of the day, you know? So the history is, is, is bearing true on, on what we're saying, that, you know, Minnie is actually the more powerful one. So we want to leave it there, guys, and just say that um, as much as... You can retell history and kind of change things. You have to be cautious. You have to you have to be aware that ghosts have opinions too about their lives and their deaths. And if you don't consult with them, if you don't kind of come to them with the proper etiquette, that they will haunt you. I'm not saying that that Sharon Tate's going to haunt Margot or she's she's going to haunt Quentin, but she's upset, right? She's upset. I'm sure there's a lot of other upset ghosts. The Manson, Manson family, with all their doubled ghosts now, mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of havoc they're going to create in, in the ghost dimension now. Who knows? But we also have Charles Manson, who was a ghost in 2017, and he watched this movie, and he is in this movie. So the, they are... Quentin Tarantino, for some reason, decided to piss off the ghosts of some of the most notorious killers in the 1960s. Wow. And I'm going to, I'm reading, I'm getting some lines in from our team, some, some direct feeds into some information. And here, here's this for, for a theory for you. All right. So uh, they announced, so Quentin Tarantino announces that he's working on this film on July 11th, 2017, mm-hmm. that he's going to make a film about Charles Manson. Charles Manson is still alive at this point. Uh, however, in November, when Sony announces that it will be distributing distributing the film, um, making it more of a you know an official uh, item, an official thing, mm-hmm. and around this, we're also starting to hear about who might be potentially involved. Um, with a public a publicity interview, Margaret Robbie, when she was inquired about her potential involvement with the film, she noted that quote. Nothing official, dot, 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 but I would kill to work with him. Eight days later, November 19th, <gasps> Charles Manson is dead. 
Oh my god. Margo, what did you do? She she fucking iced him. To play Sharon Tate, who lives in the film. <sighs> she pulled a reverse Manson. Oh my god. And I mean, maybe that's why Sharon Tate's family even gave her the jewelry as like a, you know, thank you. And they thought she was going to do it justice, you know, to the part. And that's not what happened. But, oh, my God, Rob, Margot Robbie possibly killed Charles Manson to be Sharon Tate in this movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know what to say about that. I don't, you know, guys, we're this is brand new for all of us so i want you to take this to your heart i want you to tell five people what what we just told you because this is shattering this is earth shattering so the signs are there i mean just follow it just goes to show you folks follow your intuitions wow wow i am spent i am so spent um guys stay in the scene uh it was it was so hard watching those two films this week but i did it knowing that you would be here to support me, so thank you. If it wasn't for you, I I don't think I, I I wouldn't be out of the theater. I would still be in there, stuck. So thank you guys for your support. Thank you for your love, and uh, you know, stay in the scene. Keep those eyes on the screen, folks. Even if you're asleep, I'm currently sleeping in a theater, probably at the time that you're listening to this. So. Have comfort in that. I'm with you spiritually in that moment in my subconscious, in your subconscious, mm. our collective's subconscious, obviously. So we appreciate you plugging into this audio sage when you do, when you can, to feel a little bit more at ease about things. I know it helps us out talking through this stuff. We hope it helps you too. Um, be blessed, everyone. Wow, take care. We love you. <laughs>